in the years that we worked at French Camp Academy and the ministry there to young people, many of those students responded to the gospel that would be given sometimes in a Sunday morning worship service like this one or in an evening worship service. But it was also often in private conversations with teachers and house parents and sometimes even with another student. And I can recall how the whole campus would rejoice on those occasions when we would have a revival type of service and several young people would come forward. And when that would take place, there would be great jubilation among us staff. And that'd be especially so when we would hear about some of those young people that we knew to be very difficult and rebellious, exciting. And yes, it did seem right that we should rejoice. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus said, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And yes, our personal feelings were very involved because those young people meant more to us than seems to take place in a lot of the school systems in much of our secular world these days. The young people at French camp were in some ways like our own biological children. And so, yes, we did rejoice and sometimes greatly when they would come to know the Lord. Now, here in Luke chapter 10, we read where these 70 new missionaries that Jesus sent out to minister in the local Judean towns and countrysides, they were returning and they were rejoicing as they reported about their efforts. And in hearing their reports, Jesus found it necessary to add a small measure, but a measure of caution to their response and to their rejoicing. Listen to these words beginning in verse 17 of Luke chapter 10. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you've revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the ones to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples, and he said privately, Blessed are the eyes with which you see these things. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, and they have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, and have not heard it. Now here, as we read these words, we need to always remind ourselves that Jesus had this special ability to fully know all that was taking place within the minds and the emotions of everyone around him. And here as he spoke with these young missionaries, he especially knew what was taking place within their minds. 
And yes, enthusiasm and excitement, getting caught up in the emotions of the moment, that has its good side. But it can also reveal some difficulties. And as I read these words and consider the powerful feelings that were taking place within these disciples as they came back from their missionary journey, I can identify with them. I can identify with them. I also know that in amongst the excitement, though, that we, that I, need to be careful. Feelings are a powerful and controlling influence behind most all that we do. And feelings can lead us astray. Here Jesus saw a need to bring the minds and the emotions of these young disciples back into focus on what was really taking place within the efforts that they were giving and experiencing as they went out on their missionary journey. And we also need always to remember that in our human condition, we're only able to see and perceive the things that are taking place in the visual and the natural world. But there's always so much, much more taking place in that deeper and more profound spirit world. That spirit world that exists all around us. That takes place where the spirit of Christ is working within the souls of men. And also where the spirit of Christ is at work defeating the powers of Satan. And he's doing that every moment of every day. Defeating the powers of Satan and his cohort of demons. Casting them down out of their strongholds and freeing up men's souls, yours and my soul, from their influence and control. Folks, we must not allow our small minds to always keep the Lord Jesus restricted within the small world that we live in. Yes, Jesus was here on the earth in his human form. But we need to understand that he was also able at the same time to be present in that unseen realm of the spirit world. Let me say that again. While Jesus was present here on this earth in his human form, he was also at the same time able to be present within the unseen realm of the spirit world. That's so odd to our way of thinking. But he was able to do that. He can do things that we can never begin to imagine. Recall the circumstance when Peter was trying to talk the Lord Jesus out of being crucified. Jesus looked into his face and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. He said to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Now when did that take place? See, that's what Satan would do before the Trinity. He would appear before the Trinity and make a petition to sift Peter as wheat, just as he did Job in the book of Job. The Lord Jesus was present on this earth in his human form, but he also was able to be present within the Trinity. And that's what we hear about here. In these words of verse 18, where Jesus said to these disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, yes, there was an occasion that's spoken about, especially in the book of Revelation, when Satan was cast out of heaven because of his rebellion. But the commentator, Matthew Henry, he also envisions that so much more was being revealed in those words. He envisioned the spirit of Jesus traveling along with those missionary disciples as they ministered to the people in those towns and in those countrysides of Judea. And the bringing about of the downfall of Satan and his demons that 
so freely resided in the lives of those uh, unsuspecting people. Listen to what Matthew Henry has to say about this. Matthew Henry says of the Lord Jesus that Jesus was saying, My heart and my eyes went along with you. I took notice of the success you had, and I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Satan and his kingdom fell before the preaching of the gospel. I see, says Christ, as you get ground, the devil loses ground. He falls as lightning falls from heaven, so suddenly and so irrecoverably, so visibly that all may perceive it. And say, see how Satan's kingdom totters. See how it tumbles. Matthew Henry goes on to say, And Christ foresaw that the preaching of the gospel that these disciples are doing, Christ foresaw that the preaching of the gospel, which would fly like lightning through the world, would, wherever it went, pull down Satan's kingdom. Now is the prince of this world cast out. And then also... Here in verse 17, we can see that these disciples knew from whence their power and their success came as they went out and ministered because they were quick to give Jesus all the credit for their success by saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, we aren't told about all the many thoughts that were taking place in the minds within the disciples as they told Jesus about their success. But Jesus knew all that they were thinking. And he said to them, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and on scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now here in these words, we see that Jesus was very satisfied very satisfied with the efforts of his disciples, so much so that he bestowed even more power upon them, his spiritual power, the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and power over the demonic spiritual forces that they would encounter. And though we can't know whether it was the human side of Jesus or the God side of Jesus or perhaps both, that here Jesus broke into a hallelujah of praise Listen to these words. This is a hallelujah of praise from the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, he said, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. And then in his spirit-filled joy, Jesus turned to his disciples and he shared a secret joy with them. Verse 22, he said, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the ones to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That's you and me, by the way. That was those people that the disciples were ministering to. Verse 23, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Jesus was very blessed by the efforts of these disciples and the possibilities of the things that they would accomplish in future mission efforts because Jesus knew that it was soon time for him to go and be with his Father in heaven. 
He was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. Now as Jesus watched these young missionaries come in and their excitement, if this scene were to be set within the context of our modern-day American culture, the personal feelings of the disciples would be the sole topic of conversation. You can hear the news media going up to each one of them and asking them, how did you feel about all of this? We want to know your feelings. But folks, you'll note here that the opposite was given as a caution by the Lord Jesus because feelings truly are an all-consuming fascination within most people, and especially in our society today. And that's especially so with our secular media, and then also in matters of psychology. Feelings seem to be the acceptable cause and also the justification for most all the things that people do these days. But as Jesus is explaining here to these men, personal feelings should never be allowed to have that kind of influence over a person, and especially so as we go about doing the works of God. Now, yes, feelings will take place. And they have a place. And they're especially good in circumstances like those that we read about here, where the plans and the purposes of God are going on forward in the way that God intends. And when that takes place, every heart involved, every heart involved shares in the joy. And I marvel at the way that the secular world tries to understand that special joy. They so much want to feel those deeper, stronger feelings, but they can't. I've often had people say to me, your work among the children there at French camp must be very rewarding, very fulfilling. And I understand the feelings that those people are trying to grasp, trying to explain. But unfortunately, they're trying to compare a very secular feeling to a very spiritual experience. And that simply cannot be done. It cannot be done. The two feelings of joy are not the same. Here is these dear servants returned from a very special missionary journey. Their emotions were running high. Jesus very gently tried to refocus their attention and their faith back on the things that were most important to their efforts. The success that they had was not their own. It had come from spiritual gifts that Jesus had given to them. And he reminded them of that in verse 19. He, sees, he tells us there, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. And here in his prayer of thanksgiving to the Father, you can hear Jesus' gentle shepherding of his sheep. And his disciples could hear him say these words. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, from the leaders of the church of that day, but you've revealed them to these babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. Here, Jesus was obviously concerned for his young missionaries. It probably wouldn't take many times of them laying on of hands with crippled people then being suddenly healed to confuse their minds. Certainly the fascination of those supernatural powers would be captivating, where they would cast out demons. That kind of confusion and deception has proven to take its toll over the many generations since. And we can see it in so many of 
especially my charismatic friends' churches. And also, too, with the faith healers of today. Faith healers like Benny Hinn, with his obvious theatrics. It's obvious that he's confused about what's taking place. Because what he's doing has nothing to do with what Jesus was enabling these disciples to do. Folks, I've personally prayed over a person and asked God to drive the demons out of that person. But I have never been present to witness a demon being forcibly removed from someone. So I don't know what it was like or how I would react to such an incident personally. But no doubt... I would get more fascinated if I were to do that sort of thing on a regular basis. If I were to be able to lay hands on people and they were actually healed. It wouldn't take me long to become confused. If I were to lay hands on someone and a demon would forcibly leave them. It wouldn't take long for me to become confused about what was taking place. I'm sure this warning from Jesus is because feelings are one of Satan's very special entrance ways into a person's heart and mind to corrupt an otherwise excellent ministry. To turn a person's focus off of the real subject and purpose of the ministry, that of Jesus and his plan of salvation. And then over on to self. Self and on to the abilities of self. Here Jesus gave the simple warning. Nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. These words put all feelings into perspective, and that is that there is no other feeling in existence that could possibly compare to the importance of knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And why is that so? We know why, but let me say it anyway. Someday... Someday, all of the matters of this life will eventually be called to a close. Individually, for each one of us, and then at the coming of the Lord also. But someday, all of the matters of this life will be called to a close. And at that time, everything will be measured as to whether it's good or evil, right or wrong. And contrary to what the world thinks, it's not simply a measurement of the good things outweighing the many bad things. It'll be this one measurement. It'll be this one measurement that Jesus spoke about here that'll be used. Is our name written in the book of life? This and only this will be the deciding measurement. Let me read about that. Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And listen, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now again, here in our text, as Jesus watched his disciples rejoice, he gave them this warning. 
he said to them, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that these spirits have been subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Folks, this same warning is given to you and to me. There will come a time when every soul will stand before the Lord Jesus. You and I, every soul will stand before the Lord Jesus. He's the great king and the judge of all the earth. And he'll call each one of us into account for all that's taken place in our life. If our names are written in the book of life, we'll be invited to come on in and live forever with him in heaven. But if our name is not written in that book of life, we'll be cast into the eternal lake of fire. Now note carefully that these words in our scripture are specifically being given to people that were in seriously dedicated Christian service. They were missionaries. They'd gone out with the gospel. For that reason, those who are in full-time ministry today, we should examine ourselves carefully and not be confused into thinking that it's our service that Jesus desires most. Yes, He desires our service, but not the most. What He desires is our heart. Our heart. Ministers who serve faithfully but never personally surrender their heart to Christ. They'll be lost forever, eternally. What a terrible thing to take place. A life, an eternity that's completely lost. In the book of Ecclesiastes, as the great King Solomon looked back on his own life at all the accomplishments that he had performed, his great wisdom, his pursuit of good times and great rewards, he was frustrated. He was frustrated and he called it all vanity, meaninglessness. He concluded in Ecclesiastes 12 that yes, men should work hard and give a good account of their life's work. But in the end, it will be our relationship with God that will really count. His final words on that subject are in Ecclesiastes 12 where he says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, of woman. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it be good or evil. Now, unfortunately, throughout his life, even with his great wisdom, Solomon had allowed his heart to rule most of the conduct, most of his conduct and his behavior. And his heart had led him astray. Now, yes, I have no doubt that he is in heaven today. But he got close to not being invited into heaven. We're warned about our heart. Now our heart will lead us astray. In Jeremiah 17, 9, we're told that the heart is deceitful above all things. You and I can't listen to it. It's desperately wicked. And he asks the question, who can know it? And then the Lord says, I, the Lord, search your heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his doing. The deceptive ways of the heart are what Jesus is warning these returning disciples about, saying that even the most successful of Christian service can have its difficulties if we respond to it wrongly. And we must take special care in the way we respond to what takes place in our service to the Lord. Because too often feelings can be that entrance way 
for the demonic world to enter in and, and to turn an on-fire saint down a wrong pathway. And I've seen it too often. All it takes is just a small twist, a turn in the road. And suddenly people doing good Christian service can start to take on wrong directions and wrong involvements. I know of some of those dear saints right now. We need to remember that all of the matters of this life will eventually come back to this one measuring point. Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? I'll close with these simple words of the Lord Jesus where he tells us, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Let's pray. Oh, Father, in many ways it's a tenuous life that we lead. And Father, to the degree that we surrender everything to you, we'll be able to live that life the way you want us to live it. And so we pray, help us, Holy Spirit, to live the way you want us to live and give us assurance that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.